You're listening to a special podcast produced by UMFM 101.5 in partnership with the Winnipeg Folk Festival. Running Thursday, July 7th through Sunday, July 10th at picturesque Birds Hill Park, Winnipeg Folk Festival is a celebration of people and music that has been one of North America's premier outdoor music festivals for over 40 years. I'm Michael Els, host of Thank God It's Free Range, and this episode spotlights Boy Golden. Boy Golden is the adoptive persona of musician Liam Duncan, who serves as the minister and founder of the Church of Better Days, the album that was released last summer. Boy Golden will be performing at the Winnipeg Folk Festival on Friday, July 8th at 7pm at Big Blue at night, as well as several workshops. For the full lineup, a complete list of set times, to purchase tickets, and for more information on the Winnipeg Folk Festival, visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca. Screw that up, just try, try again, cause nobody complains. We are all the same at the church of better days. He says, secondly, you gotta light it up, flex it up, pass it along when you've had enough. Share it with the crowd, don't let it hit the ground. When it comes back, just start another round. It's a righteous campaign. We are all saved at the church of better days. Duncan performs under the name Boy Golden. His album, The Church of Better Days, drawn some serious acclaim, and uh, he'll be playing it at the Winnipeg Folk Festival this summer, bringing bringing the church to the uh, the outdoor fields at Birds Hill Park. And he joins us on the phone. How are you doing, Liam? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm I'm doing all right. Good. Well, decent decent start to the week, gotta say. Uh, so, I mean, I want to talk about first about like the the notion of like choosing a moniker. Rather than kind of performing a, a, under your own name, was this something like the specifics of the project, or like was there someone that you'd seen do something like this that you kind of wanted to follow in those footsteps? Like, how did the the Boy Golden name and ethos come about? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of try to let uh, everything around music be informed by the music, and uh, so. I ended up choosing a moniker because I wanted to have a little more freedom in my writing is how I felt, uh, the freedom to both 
write really personal stuff and also to mix the personal with the fictional and leave behind any notion that I had to cling to myself in the in the writing process and instead I could just kind of embody this character and I can write from that perspective and, and I, I find that a little easier and a little more fun uh, but it's also fun on stage because I get to dress up and <laughs> wear more fun clothes and you know just be a little more outrageous which is kind of fun so is the idea then if, if we were performing under your own name people would expect kind of the songs to be autobiographical or like the, there's like an owner a level of ownership to them that this... yeah I, I think I think so I think like I mean I don't know if people consciously think that but I think that unconsciously under their own name you're gonna you're more likely to assume that a song that they've written is directly about their lives maybe I don't know this is my perspective but I've also heard this from people uh, and even heard it from people close to me when I write a song and they're like oh is that about this and I'm like no I just made it up <laughs> so I wanted to have a little more clarity there and a little more freedom. Was that something you found yourself doing, like as someone who listens to music, that like you maybe were putting an assumption on to a songwriter based on whether or not like they had, you know, a performative name? I mean, I would like to think that I did not do that because I kind of find it really annoying when people do. Like, I find there's this funny thing you compare music to other art forms where you're a lot more likely to relate the contents of the song to the actual person who wrote it. Whereas like, you know, someone who's writing a book or a screenplay or something is allowed to use language and sometimes tell stories that uh, <clears throat> don't necessarily reflect their views. And maybe they're trying to make a point by doing that. And then in, in music, you're less likely to see that. And, and like, I, Actually, especially in country music, I find that people don't give the writers enough credit for being tongue-in-cheek or being sarcastic or like, like an example would be uh, Okie from Muskogee. There mm, we go. Yeah. <laughs> you know that song? Yep. Yeah, so it's a Merle Haggard tune. And it was 100% written sarcastically. Apparently the story was they were driving by Muskogee and saw a sign, said something like that, and they wrote this song about a place where even squares can have a ball. But the reality was that Merle and his band were anything but squares. They were on the bus, you know, smoking pot and shooting guns and just generally doing law stuff. And so the the song is not supposed to be like promoting necessarily patriotism or being a square or whatever. It's kind of supposed to be funny and make a point. But people will, are pretty quick to misinterpret that as like Merle Haggard's actual opinion, which I think is kind of ridiculous and doesn't give enough credit to the writer, you know? So, Right, and I've, I've seen that, like, I, I can't remember where I read a, a, a recent article about that song, but that, like, that the, the, the fact that, like, it's lost on people. But, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's funny, and I've, I've, especially in country music, I find it just, like, Sometimes it goes right over people's head. And I have theories that even modern pop country, which I mostly really do not like, still uses that same old trick. Like, I don't know if you know that song, uh, The Boys Around Here. It's a really not not a very good tune. It's because I don't think uh, I know by that Blake Shelton. But it has to be. It has to be sarcastic because it, the lyrics are just way too 
on the nose. Like, <laughs> the boys around here don't listen to the Beatles run old bossifus through a jukebox needle. It's like, that's a hilarious l- lyric, actually. But because it's sung by Blake Shelton and put in the context of, like, modern pop country music, people think it's completely serious. I really don't think it is, you know? Anyways. Mm-hmm. And they have, like, a... There's, like feature on the song it's by uh i can't remember a rap artist and it's it's super funny i think it's hilarious but and i don't take it anyways well, yeah well not taking things seriously actually can brings up like a, a further question in terms of like this playfulness that's in the the record like is right. that did you kind of have that tongue firmly planted in cheek when you started writing songs or did that kind of come out under this notion of like having this boy golden persona or like like how did you approach tone well i actually feel like it's just more honest to my actual tone and the way i go about my life generally speaking i i have a bit more of that attitude and the first album that i ever released full of songs that i wrote was very self-serious, and I was going through a bit of a self-serious phase at the time. And uh, I ended up not really relating to them very much, even a year after I wrote them, because I was going through something intense and really, really important. But the reality is that once you're through the thing, it doesn't. It never quite seems that way again. And you start to see the humor in it, and start to see that, uh, you know. Uh, life just goes on, and 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 you know, humor and and laughter is is one of the best ways to reach across demographics and break the ice and make connections and, and actually make a point. If you're trying to make a point, either politically or whatever, that that is a really good way to do it. And and even you know, at some of the most difficult times for most people like funerals and stuff like that. It's always so welcome when someone tells a story that makes everybody laugh and remember, you know, why we enjoyed having these people around. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Anyway, yeah, so I, I feel like, uh, it, it got brought out a little more in boy golden because I, I was feeling more free to write whatever I wanted to and that, um, that's what I want to write. You mentioned, you know, looking back at these sort of self-serious songs a year later and, and having some, some buyer's remorse or some regret. Uh, did did you then write Church of Better Days with a thought to like how will I look at these songs in a year? No, not. A, I uh, I don't really think I have any regrets about <clears throat> writing that album. It's just I don't relate to the songs as much anymore. I think I needed to write the album, and those were the first songs I'd ever written. So I, you know, I had to write them, and I had to be serious about it. And <laughs> I think I had to feel like it was really important. And then when I was writing the Boy Golden stuff, no, I was just, uh, the story was I was, uh, had a little studio at the top of the Grain Exchange building, and I would go there once every two days, uh, every second day or whatever, and I would, I would try to come out of there with a new song every time. So it really removed any pressure to care at all about the songs, and I would just write these silly songs, like Katie and Munchkin, I thought it was just a <laughs> really silly song, and it is a silly song to some extent. As it turns out, it doesn't really matter how I feel about the song. I'm just responsible for making the song. 
and doing as good of a job as I can. And then when I put it out, then other people can tell me how they feel about it. And people really liked it. So it was pretty odd and a good learning experience. And I really let go of a lot of worries that I had and a lot of preconceived notions that I had about releasing music and what it means to release music and everything. So that every second day recording thing and having coming out with a song, it was just kind of like, like practice or to kind of like free yourself from thinking too hard about something or overthinking things? Yeah, it was just about having, it was honestly about re-injecting the love of doing this into my life because because that first album was so serious and I really took it really seriously, I definitely let myself get too involved in it. And then when it didn't like, when it was hard and when I went on the road and it was like the shows weren't good and, you know, when it didn't go as well as I wanted it to go, I got pretty depressed about it. And yeah, and, and, and I there's really no need to let yourself get that way. So, so the whole point of going there and just making music and not caring whether it was going to get released. And, you know, I made a whole bunch of songs that will never see the light of day. I barely remember them. But they were, it was just about having fun and doing whatever I wanted and experimenting, you know? And that was all before I made this, made the moniker, I had the idea for the album, I had any of those ideas. I just was trying to just let it happen. Actually, I wasn't trying. It was just, I was just going there and doing it. That was like my day job when I worked at bars in the evening. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was great. It was great. And then did you just kind of start sifting through the songs and see kind of what what worked together? Or how did you kind of then come up with what became The Church of Better Days? Um, yeah, I guess there was a, there was a few. When I, when I wrote and demoed Smoke on the Breeze, I was like, oh, I really like this. Something about this is really hitting me. And I think that was the first one from that album. Um... And then I just kept on doing that, kept on trying to write a song or two every week and record them. And then once I returned when I was living in Toronto, I the idea for like the moniker and the album and the whole concept almost came all at once. The song was written. I was like, I think I know what what it's gonna look like. So yeah. It's unfolded fairly naturally, and that's kind of how I like things to unfold. <laughs> when you say like all at once, like wh- what resonated? Why did why did you think? Oh, this is this is the name. This is the the concept. It kind of uh, well, that song came out of meeting this gospel uh, musician when I was playing a festival with the Brothers Landris, and we met. And hung out for an evening, and just I was just kind of fascinated by him because he was an incredible musician, a deeply spiritual person, and was also just having fun, hanging out. We were smoking blunts. <laughs> it was great. And I was just like, oh, this person has sort of managed to connect everything that I am try- feel like I'm trying to connect. And then when I wrote that song, it's, a, it's also a super silly song and it's supposed to be silly and fun but in another way it sort of wraps up how I feel about this scene that I'm in and the people that I surround myself in and what I do with my time basically I, I feel like all the time I spend working on music with my friends and for myself as well is like 
that's like going to church for me. It just makes me feel so good. And over time, we've all really worked on communicating better and becoming better friends and better supports. And I don't know, just it feels like that community. So I, I, when I wrote that song, I was like, ah, this song sort of sums up all this, all this community that I'm so fond of. And, and then I can't really explain why the album and the concept came out of that, but it was, it seemed obvious <laughs> to me. Right. The, the album's been out for a little while and, you know, you've obviously had a chance to take it out on the road and, and perform it for people. Have there been any surprises? Like, are there certain songs that people really have taken to that you, you were maybe not expecting them to be the favorites or any sort of surprises in terms of feedback from, from audiences? Yeah, actually, one of the one of the crowd favorites seems to be a new one that's on a, a new album that I'm going to put out in the fall, which I was not expecting at all. It was it's another song that I thought was really silly. Is a song about a guy who fixes horse races and hates his boss and tries to kill his boss, but then his boss kills him. I just gave away the whole thing, but <laughs> <laughs> but that seems to be a favorite. It's really weird. Like I, I would have expected that more people would be like taking videos of some of the songs that are on the album because that's people know, but that, that is almost 60% of the stuff that people send me after the shows is like that song. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious to me. Have you interacted to figure out what why that one's resonating or just just kind of noticed that that's the case? I can't really say I've asked or anything. <laughs> sure. But uh, I mean, it's a pretty upbeat song, so I guess people like that. I'm not really sure. I hope people like the recording. I like the recording. I think it's cool. Sure. Yeah. So Folk Fest is kind of a, a, a different performance opportunity than, you know, like a, a bar show or, or a tour because, you know, you, you might have like your own set where you're performing your own material, but more often than not, the uh, the workshops is where kind of the, a, a lot of the interesting stuff happens at a Folk Fest. What's your kind of read on, on workshops and what are you looking forward to it? Are you maybe nervous about how that'll go? Like, what's your mindset heading into? I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I think the workshop, the workshops at the Folk Fest really represent how the music scene here actually feels to me. I mean, I know that there are other scenes even within Winnipeg that I'm just not a part of, but within the one that I am a part of, we're always playing in each other's bands and it's like there is no band it's like everybody's playing in each other's projects and working on each other's stuff so like going up and sharing the stage with different artists and just sort of making it up as we go along feels pretty natural to me so i'm, I'm doing like three workshops and a show at big blue and one of the workshops is actually a tribute to the album harvest by neil young mm-hmm. which i'm hosting so i'm really looking forward to that uh, because I obviously love those songs. I've always been a big fan of the Neil records. So I'm I'm quite a bit looking forward to that. And then I'm, some of the other workshops, I'm in a John Prine workshop, which is great because I know a bunch of his songs. So easy peasy. And <laughs> uh, what else am I doing? There's some other one where I'm playing with this artist named Bedouin. She's super cool. Oh, so I love really, her. Yeah. Yeah, she's so awesome. So I'm really excited to meet some of those people. Yeah, she was supposed to play at the one that got canceled. Oh yeah, and then okay. uh, that was like the one I was most looking forward to. So, uh, so was glad Pine. they rebooked her. Yeah, yeah, 
Jeez. Yeah. What could have been? Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, I want to get you to pick a track off of the record that we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that song in particular or an anecdote about it, I'd love to hear that. Well, why don't you, uh, it's a little bit down tempo, but why don't you play, uh, Smoke on the Breeze? I, lo- I love that song. And, uh, one of the songs that I can, you know, still really listen to and really enjoy. And it's actually the original demo. I tried to recut that song make it quote-unquote better several times and I never could beat the original first thing I did so maybe knowing that will make it a little more interesting to your listeners for sure well Liam thanks very much for taking some time and uh, best of luck at Folkfest man thanks so much can't wait special podcast spotlighting Boy Golden, performing on Friday, July 8th at 7pm at Big Blue at night at the Winnipeg Folk Festival. To hear more featured artists, visit umfm.com. Be sure to visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca to get tickets to this great event running July 7th through 10th at Birds Hill Park. 